today's episode, we kick off by talking about our favourite cover songs in Tavern Talk, and then in the main discussion, we will talk about Taylor Swift's second most recent album, Folklore. In the outro, Barrio will introduce next week's episode, which is about the good, the bad, and the ugly, the film from 1966. Welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today we try to connect with our inner current pop music fans. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Barrio. Cardigan. <laughs> and I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today is going to be a very music-centric episode. We'll be discussing Tell Swift's album Folklore, which came out in 2020. But before that, let's do some... Tavern Talk. Peter, where are you? Um, <laughs> I was trying to clink my glass and then I realized I only have one glass, so I had to do this. <laughs> Today on Tavern Talk, as I've alluded to, we're discussing music again. This time, favorite cover songs. Uh, we've done favorite openers, favorite closers, favorite title tracks. We could literally pull all of those segments together into one giant music episode. <laughs> Before we listen to some music, let me ask you guys, what do you think of covers? Do you like them? Do you avoid them? Do you look for them? I generally avoid them. Usually I'm happy just to listen to the original. So if I see an artist that's covered the original, I'll just go to the original. But if I know the artist who originally wrote it and I know reasonably well the cover artist, then I might listen to it. But um like, I've, I've heard some that are good that I've never really listened to the cover artists that I thought were good takes on the song. Like, yeah, they're hit and miss, actually, but there is still some hits. Barry, what do you think? Like, I guess you never go and, and search for a cover of a song that you don't know. It's either that you really like a song and you're wondering what other interpretations of it will sound like, or you really like an artist and then you find out that he or she has done a cover for a song that you don't know. Like, you should approach a cover from a direction that you like. Like you never go to it out of the blue, not knowing the song or not knowing the artist. Mm. And I guess that's why I'm, you know, I'm never intentionally looking for covers, but the covers yeah. that I do know, I really like them because it always comes from one of those sides or the other. So positive all, all around. That's true though. It's a hard to discover covers as easily as like just regular songs because they're usually either done live, which is common, or they're kind of released in like a weird format, like a, like a oh, like single, or a, kind of, yeah. yeah, like an EP. They're kind of difficult, like depending on how you browse. Exactly. Um, I find I don't really bump into them unless I'm like looking for them. I find covers really interesting, though I do agree with you, Peter, that they're really hit and miss. And I'd even say more miss than hit. But, but mm. I find it really interesting because I don't know, like when a band tries to play a song that, that you know, that someone else wrote in their own style. I, I find it interesting. Like, I think that covers that are too close to the original are a bit disappointing and covers that go way off might be fun but they're usually just not as good as the original i think there's a really low hit rate but i do i just love covers i'm also really interested i think that's kind of what she described seeing what songs an artist covers kind of gives you a peek into their music library you know like when an artist mm. you like covers another artist you like it kind of i i like that guy as well he likes it that's cool 
And every once in a while, you know, like when I don't know what to listen to, I do just look up playlists that are made up of covers because, hmm. you know, it's made up of songs that you like, but in different sounds and different styles. It's kind of fun. We kind of talked about it before we started recording. I'm fairly certain I can guess one of the covers you're going to bring up because there's one that's just so specifically the cover. Yeah, I do consider this the cover song. Like, shall I play it and then we can just... Or experience it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. I just knew it. I would have been so disappointed if you didn't play it. There must be some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief. Barry, do you know this song? No. Jeez. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to throw you under that bus. <laughs> okay. So, if you haven't guessed, it's Jimi Hendrix covering Bob Dylan's All Along the Watchtower. So, he covered it very recently after it came out. So, I think it came out in 67, and I think he covered it maybe the same year or year after. Oh, but really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And um, people do consider this to be like the... I don't know, I guess the quintessential cover. It's just like a great song, then plus a legendary artist that's covering it. So um, it was going to get some attention, yeah. but I think it's because it's so different to the original. And it's like they didn't just do a cover of it like, oh, you know, I know the beat, I know the chords, I'm just going to sing it differently. It feels like its own song, but still it preserves some essence of like what it is originally. And... Um, even Bob Dylan himself said, like, I just can't believe he found all that information in the song. So. From what I heard, he said that this is the better version. Yeah. And I think he played the, the song live more like this than, like, the original. Yeah. And that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. This has almost become, like, the canon version. Yeah, exactly. Know? Imagine, I don't think I can, I, I can point at any other song that has been covered, and then the original... Uh, has changed accordingly. It's yeah. wild. This is the quintessential yeah, this cover. This is really good. Like, the guitar work is not noodling to the beat. It's, it's like, actually crafted. Like, I don't know how how, he, I, how Jimi Hendrix writes songs or um, writes solos or anything like that, but I'd imagine there was a lot of thought put into it because it's it just... I don't know, it just preserves, like, the energy throughout the song, you know? Because there's, like, three or four different guitar bits you know mixed with like the verses as well it's yeah I, I, I would love to know how it was made but um it's just got that magic that he puts into a into songs and the thing is for Jimi hendrix it's also probably one of his best songs as well i think a lot of people like hey joe but honestly for Jimi hendrix this is one of my favorite songs by him. i only know so. this one so i can't <laughs> i can't really compare he doesn't have plenty of albums, right? Like maybe a few. No, he doesn't have many. But I went down um, camping like a few few months ago and um, I put a few on repeat and they were just amazing. When I think about All Along the Watchtower, not by who it's by, but just the song, I think of this version first. Did you know this version first or did you know the Bob Dylan mm-hmm. version first? I don't have to trace back. I definitely knew this one. I I definitely came across this one first. I'd have to say I knew this one first. Yeah. Mm. Because I think when I was first getting into, like, you know, 
proper discovering music that I actually liked instead of just like listening to the radio. I think I had like a playlist on Spotify, which was just like rock songs. And I I remember there was um, Led Zeppelin's Kashmir and Led Zeppelin's Over the Hills and Far Away and this song. Yeah. And I think there was like couple Beatles songs on there as well. I, I used to just put them them in their own playlist. I didn't have many songs. I might have 10 rock songs and I just listened to them and this was one of them. So I, I'm yeah. pretty confident that this was the one I, I found first. So speaking of how you get uh, familiar with, with a song, so I like System of a Down mm. and I don't even really remember, but I like how, but I found a cover that they do for a song called The Metro. Hmm. I didn't know it was a cover. Yeah, it is a cover. And the original song is so boring. <laughs> it's, it's from a band called Berlin. Um, let me try to yeah, play that, it. That actually would be cool to, to compare the version. Very 80s. Yeah. So this is the original, right? Yeah. Oh, if it can get any better than this, I'll be, I'll be damned. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> I, I can't stand this. <laughs> this is this is eighties at, at its worst as I as I think. Yeah. Mm, yeah, not a fan. So let's move to the actual cover. already like this better. Yeah. I'll also move it to one minute. So it's it's metal, right? But so much more interesting. <laughs> I can see the original in it, but I love that. Doom, 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 doom. Again, I don't remember how, how I came across it, but I remember it was just a very nice surprise. So I got, and it's very different from, uh, you, you know, it's it's their interpretation, but it's very different from, from the rest of uh, their own written uh, materials. All right. And on, I'll ask you one thing. Do you rather when a cover covers like a very popular song or like a deep cut? So no one really knew the song and then someone covers it. That's a good question. Nah, I'd rather have a deep cut because first of all, it's just more interesting. Mm. Like uh, I'm sure popular songs are being covered all the time. And also like if it is a good cover and I find that I'm interested and I want to go and find the original, then I want to be the cool guy who knows the deep cuts. You know, I don't want to know the... Yeah, that's true. Songs. Yeah, it's fun to find like new songs and new artists that you like based on like covers from other artists. Inan, what's your pick? I I went with songs that I you know I listen to a lot. So it was important for me to go with stuff that doesn't really sound like the the original. The stuff that kind of go uh, way off. And the first I'm gonna play is a song by The Regrets called Helpless, which is a cover for a song Ooh. from Hamilton. Oh, I thought it was um, from Deja Vu almost. No, oh, that, that would have been fun. Oh, 
Regrets is spelt R-E-G-R-E-T-T-E-S. That's the fun spelling of the word. I don't mind it. So, I love this band. They're kind of a punk rock band from California. And as soon as we finished recording the end of your bonus episode, I remember that I wanted to bring them up as something I found in 2020 because oh. they're probably the band I listened to the most in 2020. Mm. Like, even though they only have two albums, I, I tried getting almost everyone I know hooked on them and nobody liked them. <laughs> you know what really is, makes this song? It's that bass. Yeah. yeah. It drives the song. Anyway, um, uh, something about this band really does it for me. I think they're cool. I love their style. And this cover, there's a lot wrong with this cover. Like, <laughs> it really simplifies the original song from Hamilton. It takes away a lot of what makes the original good. And also a good friend of mine pointed out to me that the original Helpless is kind of perfect on its own and no cover could do it justice. And I think she's right. And even so, I just really enjoy listening to this version. It makes me want to jump around and have fun. I think it's really cool. Like, it's not a deep, cool song. Uh, it, it, it's a cover for a popular song. Like, everyone who knows Hamilton, which is... A lot of people know this song. It's not a deep cut. Hmm. And it really doesn't do justice to the song. The original is so much better. Yeah. But I love this. No, I, I, I can understand the appeal. I mean, it's fun. It, it's it's fun. so it, fun. It, it kind of ta- takes the soul out of the original. Yeah. But it brings, it brings fun. Yeah, it's not as touching as the original just fun it's it's i don't know i really recommend checking out the the regrets uh, you actually if you do check them out you're really getting on early because i'm just looking at them now and they've got one album in 2017 that's their first album yeah and then they've got one in 2019 called how do you love and that's yeah yeah so like two albums they so. have a couple of eps that are also worth checking out okay. but basically yeah that's it i think they're like 20 years old they're really young yeah they do look really young. You know, when I when I first heard this, which was now, <laughs> um, no, um, but like when I when we first turned it on about two minutes ago, it sounded like a very polished band, like a Fleetwood Mac ensemble for some reason. They seem like they've been around, you know. Like the 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 singing is almost like it's got a little tiny bit of country in there, which kind of adds a bit of maturity, maybe. Um, so. I've got a theme for my covers. You'll have to guess, but this it's Bob Dylan. Okay, it's Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> They're all Bob Dylan covers. Um, so this one is, I'd say, this is probably his most popular one that I'm going to bring up. This is Masters of War, and this one is actually a live version. But Eddie Vedder's done a very similar one on an album. It's just, it's a bit hard to find. Um, and this one's done at the tribute for Bob Dylan's 30th anniversary. So Bob Dylan actually sings on this 30th anniversary album, but he's not on, he's not (laughs) on this track, but I think it's one of the best sung songs. It's, it's just amazing. It's got a few guitars and stuff. It's it's nice. Yeah, 
Is that how he sings, or is he doing a Bob Dylan impression? <laughs> I think that's roughly how he sings. That's how he sings. That's that, a good question. Huh. That's classic Eddie Vedder. Yeah, but he does. He sounds a bit like Bob Dylan, like the, something about the intonation. Yeah, he's probably. I would say a little bit, um, but not not all that much. Mm. I don't recognize the song. Well, Bob Dylan does sing it like "See you, masters of war. You that build all <laughs> the guns." You that build the death planes, you that build all the bombs, you know, so he's he's putting that into it, but sounds like a lot like your Kermit impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> Now I've got like ten different Bob Dylan impersonations because <laughs> his his voice has changed. This song is a bit dramatic. Would you say the the original version is like this as well? Oh yeah. Because this sounds good. No, I'd say this one is way more dramatic. Like mm. Bob Dylan kind of sings like he means it, but he's not emotionally invested mm. like he's willing to write a song about war but he's not going to give people the satisfaction of knowing he's going to sleep thinking mm. about it whereas the Eddie Vedder version feels like he's just in pain you know like he's in pain yeah where you don't get that in the original that sounds great mm. yeah this bit of singing is quite good here Yeah, so that's um, that's a live one. But again, if you want like a sort of like a bit cleaner version in terms of um, like the audio's cleaned up a little bit, and that actually turned me on to um, more of Pearl Jam's music. I don't listen to a lot. Yeah, but me neither. I did not listen to any of their music until I heard this. I was like, "Where's this guy from?" And looked him up. Yeah. All right, Barrio, what's your second? Well, I gotta say that even before Inon mentioned his cover, I also planned for a Hamilton cover. Oh, really? The awful one? The amazing one. <laughs> the much better one. <laughs> the Sia one. The Sia one, indeed, my friend, indeed. Kind of like another disclaimer. So this is another Hamilton song, probably uh, a cover for the most famous one in there called Satisfied. Originally in, in the play, there's a, a singer, which I don't know her name, which sings... It's it's a complicated song. It consists of both singing and kind of like a bit of rapping. That actress is she's amazing. She's very talented. Really impressive. Yeah, really really impressive. But I think one of the most interesting aspects of covering that song is that they split it into two roles. There's the singing part and there's the rapping part. The singing is done by Sia, which is an incredible singer, and the rapping part is done by Queen Latifah, which is an amazing rapper. So while it breaks a bit the narrative because you have two different voices, I think that, you know, as a piece, like I think it's better than the source, but Inon will, Inon and the other Hamilton fans will probably yeah. uh, hang, hang me for this. Yeah, I'd love to know what other people think about this. People yeah. who love Hamilton just, you know, admire it through and through. So saying that the cover is better than, yeah. than the original is blasphemy. A bit, yeah. <laughs> but I think that like there are a couple of changes in the performance of the melody and it makes it a bit more interesting. And I also think that it's, it's slower. So I think it has a bit more soul into it. Hmm. Sia is like a big artist, isn't, isn't yeah. she? I, I, I do. Yeah, like, recent years has been kind of big. Access to the ground, to the ground, to the ground, to the ground. 
Like you can't you can't compete with her voice. It's so powerful. I really don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sweet. It's so it's too much for me. But you can't deny that that it's just you know it fills everything. She's talented. Yeah, you're right. I'll speak to uh to the rap part. Just you She's awesome, Queen Latifah. Sounds a little bit like what I imagine Jaden Smith. <laughs> I came across this cover at the peak of my interest uh, with Hamilton. Like, there was a time where I was just drowning in Hamilton. I couldn't listen to anything else. And I was just looking for more, so I came across this album, the, the Hamilton Mixtape, and just started listening to this cover, gave it like 20 seconds, and I skipped it. I skipped most of the covers on that album. It's not really good. But, but you're, you're right, there's a lot of soul and, and feel to this song, to this version. You're going to take that, Barrio? Yes, yes. I got I to gotta say that, that I, that's a lot more generous than the response that I thought I, I would get. <laughs> So the next cover I wanted to bring up is Kamasi's Washington's Claire de Lune, uh, originally by Claude Debussy. I wasn't sure if this counts or not because Claude Debussy is a classical music composer, so it feels a bit different than a cover. Anyway, Claire de Lune is an amazing piece. It's the third movement of Debussy's Bergamasque, which I think is great. And you might not recognize the name Claire de Lune, but I think you would... Maybe know it as a music that plays at the end of Ocean's Eleven after they pull off the heist and they're watching the Bellagio's Fountains show. Oh, There's yeah. this really sweet piece of music playing. Um, that's uh, Claire de Lune. And Kamasi Washington um, is a, a jazz saxophone player. And his version of Claire de Lune is more jazzy. It captures a lot of the original version's feel, but, you know, with trumpets and saxophones and, and, and drums and... It has all of the magic of the original one, but it's more modern. It's, it's so cool. It's beautiful. There's something so touching in the melody. Yeah. And, and the sax yeah. really, really does it well. Surprisingly, yeah, by the way. I totally agree. Because, like, you would imagine that it only works with a soft uh, piano sound. It's beautiful. It's kind of magical. Also really relaxing because it's really soft and gentle. Although in this version, there's a bunch of, like, solos and it kind of builds up later. But still, it's just wonderful music. Would you consider this a cover? Like, or would you say that I cheated by... <laughs> playing something like this uh, a cover to a classical music piece no i'd say this is yeah, um, cool. okay i'd say this counts okay so my last one as promised another bob dylan song <laughs> compared to the eddie vedder's cover of masters of war this is like complete opposite it's like the smoothest song ever it's just so i've never heard a song as smooth as this it's it's amazing um so this is every grain of sand
I don't recognize the song. So this is like an 80s song by Bob Dylan, quite a big hit at the time. Oh, really? And it's covered by Emmy Lou Harris, who's a, like a really big country um, singer. Quite, I think she's probably in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I imagine. Mm. When was this cover recorded? Um, testing me, I think it's um, the n- mid '90s. Hmm. Um, let me check that. Yeah, 1995. Hmm, cool. So still 25 years ago. Yeah, wow. <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's less, like really smooth, you know? Yeah. How would you compare this to the original? The original's pretty smooth, but, you know, like it's still Bob Dylan, you know? That every hair is numbered <laughs> like every grain of sand. Did it have the same kind of drumming? I can't imagine a... A Dylan song with this kind of drumming. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Definitely doesn't have this drumming. Yeah, it's it's the the tempo is actually pretty similar, but it's a more constant. You know how Bob Dylan sort of just it's like someone was meant to like fix it up in post, but no one ever did. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's a bit more inconsistent. You know, a few syllables like gone awry, but yeah, pretty cool, very pretty. Okay. So, I have two options. Tell me what you prefer. There's a Beatles cover, and there's a cover for a jazz one of... Shake it up, oh. baby, now. <laughs> Shake it up, baby. And that cover is brought to you by Peter. Twist take it, take it away, Peter. Come on, come on, come on, come on, baby, now. <laughs> He lost his voice recording yeah, that. Peter, that really? was really good. I don't know how. Super easy to sing it. You know, I think if we need uh, an opening uh, an opening segment for uh, for this episode, just let's record a cover with Peter for this song. <laughs> I'd love to. Shake it up, baby, now. <laughs> That was wonderful. Yeah. Can you do Taylor Swift like this? <laughs> uh, so I got one Bill song, actually, <laughs> less, less energetic uh, for Blackbird or... <laughs> A cover for a jazz standard, which kind of raises the question regarding covers in jazz because there are a lot of jazz standards yeah. that everyone does. Yeah, it's um, Look, I mean, I don't want to give people free free bingo points here, but Led Zeppelin do a lot of covers. <laughs> <laughs> but they tend to say they're not covers. It's a really? little bit uh, legally dicey. Well, because they've been to court over a whole lot of love. Even Stairway they've been to court over, like, but... Honestly, like even if they were listed all as covers, it kind of doesn't take away at all. So I don't really care. But I know, like, pe- like when I looked up like what the best covers are to get inspiration, mm-hmm. they put "When the Levee Breaks" as a as, as a, a cover, cover, which 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 is a technically like kind of like a cover. I didn't it's, know like, that. It's just been played forever. But I mean, like, it's kind of like what I consider to be like those jazz standards. You know, like um, what's the, what's the other one that like everyone covers? The um, even Bob Dylan covered it. It was um, it's like there was a man from New Orleans or something. Um, House of the Rising Sun. And that's the one. Yeah, uh, I won't play it, but there's a, a great <gasps> version of that oh. song by the singer of ACDC. That's the best vocals I've ever listened to. I almost want to listen to it just so we can do like our covers of it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that singer because like my friend from high school did like a great investigation <laughs> of it. It's so rude. It would not like it would not go well if you met him and you did it because it sounds like way 
worse. But yeah. Brian Johnson, the the, yeah. the the vocalist of ACDC, he he used to play in a band called Jordy in 1974, I think, years before he was in ACDC, and they did a cover of House of the Rising Sun, and he sings so beautifully there, and the guitar solo is amazing, one of the best covers. I I'm surprised I didn't think of it. Honestly, I just want to hear it now. Do you just want to hear it quickly? I'll play it. Yeah, yeah. let's let's hear it. Peter, what's a levy? Put the Chevy in the levy. I don't really know, so like levy experts, please comment. But I, I assume it's something to hold water. So like, it's like a dam, maybe. Mm. Here, like at the beginning, when he sings gently like this, you wouldn't have guessed that this is Brian Johnson. I, I didn't know he could sing like this. But listen to this now. Yeah. Jeez, that's hard to replicate, isn't it? Beautiful. Beautiful stuff. That's really good. New respect for him as well. Yeah. I want to hear this Blackbird. Coming right up. It's from the soundtrack of a beautiful movie called I Am Sam, which is filled with Ooh. Beatles covers. Yeah, that's the whole soundtrack. Yeah. And again, I'm going to say a blasphemy that I think that some of the songs there are actually better than the Beatles original. Oh. Don't kill me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about this one, though, uh, but it is, it is a nice cover. Singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings And learn to fly All your life You were only waiting For this moment to arise Very smooth. Blackbird by Sarah McLaughlin. 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 Beautiful voice. Very good. Yeah, it's very intimate. I think that's it's even more intimate than the original. Very good. This is um, Judas Priest's cover to Diamonds and Rust by Joan Baez. Beard, do you know anything by Joan Baez? Um, yeah, I know a little bit um, by I'm her. I'm just thinking about this now. This song is about Bob Dylan. <sighs> oh, um, what's it called again? <laughs> Diamonds and Rust. It's a song oh, okay. about uh, a relationship Joan Baez used to have with Bob Dylan. It's a beautiful, mm. beautiful yeah, song. Yeah, I think, I think they've written a few songs about each other. Oh, this sounds nice. This is easily the cover I listen to most often. Like, I listen to this cover all the time. It's one of my favorite Judas Priest songs. Just one of my favorite covers. The, the, the original song, obviously, is a bit more folky. And it had a bunch of charm to it. And obviously, this version is, is more metal. But mm. it still kind of captures that charm. For some reason, it just works better for me than 
the original version. Uh, I have a kind of a personal connection with this song because I recorded a cover to this song as well. And I promise I didn't bring up this cover just to mention my <laughs> version of it, but I'm going to take the opportunity to do that anyway. So here, here's a story. I used to play music with a friend. Her name uh, is Sivan. And, you know, we were working on her music and the plan was to find other people to play with and to start a band. And around that time, Barrio and I, we decided to take a trip to America, which I knew would be for a few months. And I told her, like, I wouldn't be a part of that project. And so we decided to set up a date for a show uh, the night before I left. And we played, like, everything we worked on together and a few covers. We played Nirvana's Lithium, uh, The Beatles' I've Just Seen a Face. Uh, we Ooh. played uh, The Kinks' Dedicated Follower of Fashion. And we played a cover of Diamonds and Rust that was kind of more similar to the original in terms of sound, but very influenced by this version. Like, a couple of weeks before the show, I thought that it would be very nice to have something to remember the time we played together by. So I called my brother, who, he used to work at a recording studio, and I asked him to let him know if we could like drop by for an hour at some point and record something quickly and we played this cover and we both really loved the version we've done for this song so we decided that you know if we'd get to record anything it'd be this and a day before the show my brother called me he told me that the room is free for us to use for like an hour or so and we recorded it and like it didn't take too much time really we did one take with me on guitar and Sivan uh, on vocals and then I recorded two takes of the vocals it's it's like not the most elaborate recording or anything but I love it I listen to it a lot and like whenever someone is interested I quickly send them a link to it like everyone I know have gotten a link to it um, I'll play it now and I'm going to put a link to the song if anyone wants to download it or anything and put it uh, on their phone or whatever. If anyone wants to use it for their wedding, for example, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. I need some of that vagueness now, it all comes to clearly. Yes, I loved you dearly. If you're offering me diamonds and rust, I've already Both know what memories can bring diamonds and rust. Yes, we both know what memories can bring diamonds and rust. Diamonds, diamonds. That's probably the, the recording I'm part of that I'm most, most proud of. Thanks, man. We do a podcast. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's brilliant. 39 episodes and it was this three-minute song. Yeah. <laughs> and he's telling that he went to the studio and kind of like recorded it in, in an hour. <laughs> All right, Peter, t tell us about Taylor Swift's folklore. <laughs> okay, so Taylor Swift's folklore. Um, Inon? This uh, wait, is... you pick it or Inon picked it? I picked it. Yeah. If, we're, if we want to lob around blame it's sort of Anon's fault because <laughs> I, I took you two on myself uh, I'm not taking the fault for this no because you two I consider the first in the series of like deliberate risks uh, <laughs> we yeah. could just have a playlist of deliberate risks um, <laughs> such a bad title 
Um, but yeah, things that we almost like kind of like that r slash change my mind subreddit, but this is more yeah. like our version yeah, exactly. of it. This one was something I like actively thought I wouldn't like. But if if someone asked me to name an album, I couldn't from Taylor Swift. So I don't want to be that person that just you know, writes everything off before they've heard it. That's true. So yeah. I figure let's give it a proper chance, you know, let's listen to it and see how it is. So um, this album also came out on my birthday, 24th of July. Well, not my birthday, but one of the annual <laughs> celebrations of it in 2020. It is called a birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a surprise album. So I don't know like what a surprise album is, but it means like she didn't promote it beforehand, I guess. I don't, I don't think no one knew it's going to come yeah, out. Yeah, but I mean like back in the old days, all albums were surprise albums. <laughs> the releasing of an album was the surprise. Like, But now surprise albums just like you just announce it when you release it, I guess. Surprise album would be like you release an album from like um, – jay-z and then it happens to be a taylor swift album that would be a surprise <laughs> album. the album's called folklore and i think it, it sort of marks a change from her pop sort of albums to like more of a folk pop kind of thing it's i guess more folky than her previous albums but then again i haven't really listened to much of her stuff before um, but i do know she's like a pop superstar so it doesn't surprise me and apparently she started off a bit folk or maybe a bit more country i guess so yeah. Um it's yeah. It, it it's kind of changed a little bit. Um a little bit like I guess Kid A. Kid A was like a change for Radiohead when we covered that one. That was from like rock to sort of more electronic. So a little bit more about the album was it won a Guinness World Record for the biggest opening day on Spotify for an album by a female artist, which is great. It's her seventh number one in the United States and the best selling album of twenty twenty. That's pretty big wow. stuff. So I mean she's a pretty pretty big artist, I guess. Um, so a little bit like Paul McCartney's recent album, Taylor Swift didn't expect to create an album in early 2020, but after the cancellation of like her current sort of touring stuff, she just quarantined herself and she watched some movies. On Wikipedia, it says she watched Rear Window from 1954, LA Confidential from 1997, Pan's Labyrinth from 2006, Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre? Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre. Marriage Story 2019 and The Last Dance 2020. And she read more books than she ever did. Books that dealt with times past, a world that doesn't exist anymore, such as Rebecca 1938, Daphne du Maurier, and the fictions inspired Swift to venture beyond her autobiographical style of songwriting. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I I don't really know those things too much. I know LA Confidential and Marriage Story, but I don't really know much else. So if you guys notice anything, that's cool. But if you want to cut it short, I think she was very bored and just (laughs) decided to (laughs) make an album. So that's fair. So uh, first of all, uh, the question we always ask is initial thoughts. Like what like the first time you listened to it, were you, did you like it? Have you listened to much of her stuff in the past? So did you have anything to compare it to? And um, yeah, just generally, generally first thoughts. Anon, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. I haven't really listened to anything by her before this, but I do have a friend who I kind of trust his music, his taste in music, who I've heard him say a few times that she's better than what 
you'd expect. Like the、mm. cheese, even pretty good. So my, I, I kind of wanted to be surprised by this album. You know, I kind of wanted to. I, I didn't expect it to be great, but I, I really wanted to find that I do enjoy this. That's exactly how I felt. Exactly. And, honestly, like the first time I listened to it, like nothing really took off for me. I, I wasn't really impressed until maybe song six, which I think is Mirrorball. And I didn't fall in love with this album by then, but like it, it was okay. Like things picked up. I do think now that I kind of you know after two weeks of listening to this album, I don't think that this album kind of starts slow and picks up, and then it becomes kind of stronger. But like all in all, I I thought that this album was okay. Like not great, not bad. I don't even have to say it, but like I know that I'm not the target audience with this album. I. Still, kind of wanted to keep an open mind and see if I enjoy it. And I don't know. In a few words, I thought that the music in the album was too sweet for me. The type of atmosphere is not something I'm attracted to. I thought the music itself was a bit boring. There were a few songs that I did like, and mostly the lyrics were a bit simple. I thought there were a few lines I connected with. There were a few lines that kind of took me by surprise. And I'll say I, I don't dislike this album at all. But in the end. There was only one situation in which I found that I enjoyed this album in, and that was when it was in the background while I was working. You know, like when I listened to this album while I was driving or walking the dog or anything, I found it a bit boring. I couldn't listen to the whole album at once, but when I was working, it was kind of perfect. Like it's long; it's it's an hour and like. Six minutes, I think. So it lasted a while, and it has a few upbeat songs, a few calmer songs. It's not complicated musically, so it doesn't demand your attention. So it kind of works. I, I listen to this album every day when I was working this past couple of weeks. Like it was the first album I listened to every morning, and it it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> this is fine. This album is fine, and th- this is also kind of like how I feel. <laughs> this is fine. Not a mind blower, but it's nice. My story with it is that I started listening to it. Like I, I, I prepared myself and I took the time, and I, I was in kind of like in an energetic mood, and and I was a bit expecting something more popish, and started listening to it and got bored really <laughs> quick and just left it. Then I tried again, walking back home from work, and again I got a bit boring because I was. In, in a different vibe but then when it first started talking to me is last night I took that my headphones and headed to the beach and it was this very wintry sunset a lot of clouds and and this really soft oh, that sounds nice yeah and, and cool you know even a bit chilly uh, wind from from the sea and I just walked there in in the sunset and then it clicked perfectly because this is I think this is the vibe of Taylor Swift folklore album this is how you you're meant to to see it and then I found I found its charm like it's it's really as Inan also said it's really nice it's kind of like this background music when I tried to dive into the words I understood that I'm not a teenage girl anymore yeah so, it's mostly teenagey stuff yeah so <laughs> in terms of the vibe do you reckon the um the album cover of her in sort of like the woods with a bit of like a, a lot of fog and stuff do you think that kind of describes sort of huh, like an atmosphere I've never looked at the cover oh really it's like when you were describing the beach I mean besides the other couples and stuff it actually seemed similar to the album cover. it kind of looks like a black metal album cover like <laughs> 
black and white photo of People a forest. People say that, but I haven't seen enough. <laughs> well, I'm now looking at the cover, and yeah, it does seems very seem, cold, doesn't yeah. it? It does yeah. seem a bit cold, and it's it's a bit colder than her actual songs. Like her her songs are a bit warmer. I feel like I wouldn't say that this is the perfect cover. I totally agree. Like like I said, this kind of reminds me of a black metal cover album. And, you know, when you see a, uh, one of those covers, you kind of expect a brooding atmospheric album. And this isn't really it. Like, this is yeah. warmer than the cover. Maybe a bit more color in the cover would have been better. But If, if yeah. they just did, like, that thing where they only include, like, one color, like, or they, like, the co- only color, like, the tree leaves green or something then it might yeah, have just a bit of yeah. dark dark green mm. i think the issue that bothered me the most uh, we're going to get to the part of favorite songs and um i'm not really sure how to answer that because even after a couple of listens it all sounds the same so maybe i'm just too old yeah. for this music like i wasn't really able to to say this song is completely different there's a pro and a con in there i think i'll, I'll go through it later but um because i did some scouting online <laughs> See what people thought. Interesting. Um, let me ask you before you continue. It's it's perfectly fine to not have like a, a favorite song from an album, but would you say that like two listens is enough to, to find a favorite song? Like it, to me, it took the whole two weeks, but I usually take a long time to really settle on a favorite song. Do you usually find your favorites in like a listen or two? Finding a favorite song in general, like a song that I think that uh, I will want to listen down the road, this is very immediate for me. Like one or two listens and I know this song. Usually it's the same for like for the entire artist. Like if, if there's a song that talks to me, it's like love in first sight. Oh, that's so different from what I feel. Okay, cool. Regarding um, like my favorite from that album, you no, know, it's kind of like you need to study it. So I guess you're right. Like you need, you need to do a couple of listens I think that you know, if if we compare it to other albums that we that we heard, I think it was easier because the, the songs were a bit. They expressed different stories, and this entire album sounds like pretty much the same story, but in in different scenarios. It sounds like a cover of a cover of a cover. <laughs> like each of them is the cover of the previous one. Like maybe the song "Mad Woman" maybe kind of stands out and feels like a different story, but I do agree with you. Most of the songs do feel like kind of the same story. As soon as we confirm this is what we're doing, I listened to it the next day. I was kind of excited actually to listen to it. It, it was so different. I just, I don't know, I just wanted to get into it. And the first time I listened to it, the songs blended into each other, not in a good way. Like this happened also on the U2 album, mm. like along like the lines of like um, from seven to up until like sort of invisible string, they sort of all sounded the same. And then like when she brought out the harmonica and Betty, I was like, oh, that's new. Like it just took me that long to like find something different. After that, I listened to it like once. After that, I, I picked a few that like, I thought maybe I could be, potential favorites and I listened to them the same day and then I just gave it a break for a week. Mm. I just took a week off. Then I listened to it just through again and I found it much better listening to it the second time. Like it was quite a big difference between the first time and second time. The second time I, I remembered a few little things from last time and they suddenly had a little bit more character. I just didn't really understand it the first time. And the second time maybe I didn't understand it fully but I definitely could identify if I liked the song or didn't like the song a little bit easier. And I honestly really think it was the break that helped. I think if I just continued spam listening to it, I don't think I would have got there. But often I do find it's hard to find a favorite song or a least favorite song because if an album's too similar, 
or the album's too different. You know, sometimes that happens with artists where there's like a few different singers maybe. I find it sometimes a little bit difficult to compare them. And this one was definitely too similar to each other to really get a vibe. But yeah, it wasn't a bad experience. It wasn't a bad experience. I think definitely, I think it's catered to people who are feeling a little bit more like emotional maybe, like more in touch with feelings and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I don't know, I don't know if it's really made for me. I think probably not. But yeah, I still found some value in it. I thought it was okay. But yeah, I, I definitely kind of feel, on the whole, a little bit vindicated about my opinion of Taylor Swift after agree, listening yeah. to it. I definitely don't feel like I was disproven or anything like that, which is a little bit of a shame. But, yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't go around saying she's, like, the epitome of, like, bad music or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what were your – what was your favourite and your least favourite song? I have a few favourite songs. Can I go through them all? Sure, yeah. I'll just say this album has 16 songs – and I did listen to this album like once a day, almost twice a day sometimes. Oof. And it took me a long while to figure out which songs I like. At, the, at first, everything kind of sounded the same. And it took me a lot of time to really realize which songs maybe stand out or, or a bit better. So even songs that do stand out, they don't stand out like a lot. <laughs> mm. So I think my favorite song from this album is Betty. I think it's track number 14. Correct, yeah. Really fun song. I think it reminds me of how it felt being young in a good way. Because a lot of songs did remind me how it feels to be young in in not a very good way. And like the writing in terms of music isn't something special. It's not something I've never heard before, but it works just fine. And I like the lyrics on Betty. And like there's one specific line that I liked kind of made me laugh, which is, Will you kiss me in front of all your stupid friends? Kind of cute. <laughs> not, not haha funny though. She's calling his friends stupid. It's funny. <laughs> is um, she's a bit younger on that track? Is that right? Like she's yeah. writing as she's sort of like a seventeen or something. Definitely, she. I think she literally says it. Yeah. 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 Um, another song I liked is "Illicit Affairs." I, I, I liked the way it feels. I don't think that the music is something special or anything, but I really like the feel of the song. It's a bit darker. Not as sweet as the rest of the album. Mm. Um, it has a couple of lines that I liked. They are a bit cliche, but I, I don't know. I like them. I can kind of relate to them. They're, um, you showed me colors, you know, I can't see with anyone else. Or you taught me a secret language I can't speak with anyone else. Again, not, nothing special, but it's, mm. it's, it's cute. It, it makes me feel stuff. So I like it. And the last one I really liked is Invisible String, which... You know, it's it's probably the only song on the album I could easily recognize from the first note. Like, uh, the, the only song I really noticed every time I pl- it played. Like, I always tapped my feet along with its beat. It's fun. It's cute. Stood out a bit. Uh, but that's basically it. Barry, do you want to figure out your favorite? You know, I have one song that I I uh, remember fondly. is um, It's the Exile one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Track number four, I think. Yeah, track number four. The duet. Yeah. Um, how, do, how do you say the, the guy's name? Is it? I've heard Bon Iver, I've heard Bon Iver, I've heard a lot of well, things. Well, Bon Iver is the name of the band he's hmm. from. Like, it's uh, the whole band was kind of guesting on that song. The guy is, I think, Justin Vernon. It was uh, nominated for uh, Best uh, Pop Song. Oh, really? 
Mm. Yeah, I can see why you like that song. It's uh, I think it's one of the stronger songs on the album. Yeah, speaking of making you feel, I don't like the the vocalist, the uh, Justin Vernon's voice too much, and I think the the lyrics on that song are a bit simple. Like the song is about a breakup. Each singer describes a different side of a breakup, which I thought is interesting and relatable. Uh, but I felt that the lyrics were like I, I I read them and I felt like I already read those lyrics a hundred times before. But you that's know? like with all of her songs. <laughs> that's true. That's that's a complaint I have towards all of this album. Like everything feels like it's been done before. And and about Exile, I still think it's one of the stronger songs in the album. Like uh, despite everything I just I, said. And you know w- when listening to it, uh, one of the thoughts that popped into my head that a lot of the songs in the album and and maybe this is. Uh, a strong example of it well it's going to sound a bit weird but i could i could imagine that it's some kind of uh you know where prayers come from or maybe songs come come from prayers like a hmm. lot of words a lot of this very nuance but kind of like it doesn't necessarily have to go anywhere but it's very consoling you know and i could imagine uh hordes of teenagers just singing this in a in the in a concert and it has its beauty like i can i can understand it's um i have a synagogue right outside of my house and and sometimes i hear you know they, they got they got singing going on and it's obviously not the same kind of music but it's in the ritual you know and her songs are so relaxing so i don't know it, it kind of made me think my favorite song is also, Betty. Ah, oh, cool. Um, yeah, I just, there's something a little bit like a Bob Dylan vibe, and I like when it kind of stops, and then I like the way it restarts, sort of like with the momentum. I, I, I quite like it. Um, the lyrics, I thought, were kind of a little bit interesting, at least, like nothing spectacular, but kind of a bit different. And yeah, I thought the guitar was nice. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, yeah, Betty, not, not a half. There's something song. about that song. Yeah. Um, honorable mention um, to This Is Me Trying. I kind of like the concept behind the song. Like it's something I've never really heard before, whereas a lot of the other songs, like I've heard that kind of song by someone else. But mm. This Is Me Trying is a little bit, I don't know, it's quite 2020, you know. It's it's kind of modern mm. song. Like I, I wouldn't have heard, you wouldn't have heard like a 1960s and a 1970s song called This Is Me Trying. Like it's a very in touch with your emotions yeah. song. Um, and also the, I don't know if like you call it instrumentation or just the general sort of like vibe. The music matches the the lyrics. So, yeah, honorable mention to This Is Me Trying. Inan, do you have a least favorite song? I very much do. My my least favorite at first, oh, so my least favorite is Cardigan, song number two, which I think it, it kind of feels like it's a single. I didn't check what songs out of this album were, were singles. If Like, at first, I didn't mind it too much. It sounded fine. But then I noticed that every time I listened to it, I kept feeling like there was someone standing behind me, moving stuff around or looking over my shoulder. Did you guys notice no. anything like that? <laughs> no. I felt like I was losing um, my possessions. And did you guys get that? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's an odd, very specific feeling. Uh, <laughs> if you listen closely to that song, you'll notice that there's this scratching sound that is a bit offbeat underneath the instruments, and it starts at around 32 or 33 seconds into the song. It's a bit subtle. He's gone in depth. <laughs> yeah, I, I went and checked when it starts. And it's a bit subtle, so it took me a while to consciously notice it. But like I said, it made me feel like there was someone in the room 
and it made me feel tense and it really made me not enjoy the song. And once I noticed it, I thought I'd learn to expect it and ignore it, but it kept bugging me and I ended up just skipping that song every time. Even now, when I listen to the song to try and find when that noise starts, I was literally listening for it. Like I was looking specifically for it. It faded into the song and I looked around because I thought my dog was scratching the door or something. I can't listen to that song. It's such a petty reason. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, uh, like, that's like the equivalent of going to a restaurant, writing a piece for the Times or something and be like, I don't know, the meatball sort of made me think of my second marriage. So <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing in what I said has anything to do with the, the song itself. I think it's the echo of the snare drum or Maybe. something. Uh, Barrett, do you have a least favorite song? No. Like nothing stood out. Yeah, that's, that's a bad sign. It's even worse than having a bad song. Yeah, in a way. Peter, what about you? Um, so, you're going to hate this, but um, my least favorite song's Exile. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay. So, long story short, apparently Taylor Swift is like the, uh, what would we call it? The, like, the, like the podcast police when it comes to like using her music. She'll, she'll like come after you, you know? So, this probably won't make it into the podcast, the, the song. So you'll just have to find it. Yeah. But yeah, she she's quite a hound when it comes to this stuff. Um, hence why we're not playing the clips. Peter, what'd you, why don't you like that song? The, the um, this, I don't know. It felt very, I'm 14 and this is deep. It like It's just like two adults trying to be very somber. And I just didn't believe it. I don't know. It's just I was trying to think about, oh, do you want to record a song? Yeah. It's like, all right, well, we've got to be really sad. Like, be sad, you know, like that's just, it felt yeah. like a very bad acting almost. And also like the joy of having someone else on the album is to like see what the voices are together and like sort of harmonize. But it felt like, honestly, like one of them was trying to sound different. So like they'd never really hit the same note and they wouldn't end mm. on the same time. Like they just, they never really harmonized at all. And, and they like, kept al- alternating. Yeah, well, they they did that, but even when they did sing at the same time, one of them would, like, whisper it and the other person would sing it. So it's, like, almost backing up the other person. Like, it just, yeah, I don't know. I didn't like it at all. I, it, it, it will it, sound it, weird, but I completely agree with you, I think. Yeah, it is weird. Mm. You're agreeing with Peter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's weird because he's giving, like, really good reasons why it should be, like, the worst pick of the album instead of the better one. But... I agree. I think that as a duet, it's not really good. It's barely a duet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's kind of like they're both on it, but yeah, I don't know. It's a bit yeah, weird. I think what, what appealed to me is, um, I think at the, at the later part of the song, there's when they don't sing. <laughs> no, just the... <laughs> Yeah, 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 there's some... yeah, that's the best bit about it. I, I agree. Yeah. Sometimes when I kind of manage to, you know, suspend my cynicism or criticism, then the, the song did work for me. I, I think this song sometimes works. And when it does, it's kind of strong. To slightly pad how bad it is, because of the restrictions in coronavirus, um, they probably couldn't record it together. So I imagine one of them had to record it before the other person. So that's maybe one of the reasons why the harmony isn't great. Hmm, that's interesting. They couldn't like act off of each other. What? When was this recorded? Uh, it was recorded during lockdown, during I guess. During the quarantine. Yeah. yeah. Came out July. So I think it was recorded sort of March to June-ish. Exactly. Huh. Um, but yeah, I, I imagine he put his vocals down before her because he landed on the beat where she was dancing around it a bit. 
and I imagine he wouldn't have been able to record it otherwise. So, well, it would have been, but I mean, like, it, that would have been the logical way to do it. I don't know why, but I kept thinking that this album is kind of like from five to seven years ago. It's from the past <laughs> year. <laughs> I'll just add, I looked up, I wanted to see what everyone's favorite songs were. After I listened to it the first time, and I didn't really like it, in that week, I was like doing a bit of research on it, just to see... Well, maybe if I listen to the best song that's on the album, that'll connect with it. And like the fans who really like it, they all kind of think differently. So there's some that get mentioned more than others, but it's a it's a big spread. So um, some people say they couldn't pick one. Some people go for one, but then the next person will say something different. The next person will say something different. So I'd say there's almost eight to ten ones that sort of get mentioned quite a bit. I know... The One gets mentioned quite a bit. Cardigan sometimes gets mentioned. A big one is The Last Great American Dynasty. That's quite popular. Uh, My Tears, Ricochet, big one. Seven and August get mentioned. Same with Invisible String and Betty. They get mentioned. And then all the others do get mentioned as well. There's no... There's almost no song that doesn't get mentioned in in the mm, forums. So that's interesting. Yeah, there usually um, is one. Huh. Yeah, there is usually one that stands out. I I can't point at any other songs that I really didn't like, but I don't like the the one and my tears ricochet. They both kind of have that single feel to them. They both feel mm, like they're gonna yeah. be the bigger popular songs. And I didn't really connect with those. I kind of felt like they slowed the album a bit. Yeah. Cardigan I recognized from like hearing over the radio. And I don't hear the radio that often, so it must be really? up there. Um, yeah, I only listen to it like sometimes they go to like snooker halls and they have the radio on and they play Cardigan. Yeah. But the one, I think a pretty solid opener for the album if you're having to pick what one you want to put first. The one is not a bad one. It's another one I hear. I think I heard August as well, but I don't know where I have heard it, but that one's quite a popular one. I'm thinking about this album, like what what is this album? And it's it's a singer-songwriter album basically. Mm. So we're not we're not going to say, "Wow, check out the bassline on this" or or can you imagine <laughs> yeah. the guitar because I imagine she's not playing the guitar on most of these or maybe any of them. Because some of it's quite complex and she's more of a, a chord player, which is fine, but I think she would have got a studio musician for it. But what did you guys think in general about what the main main pool of this album is, which would be the lyrics? Actually, do you want I... me to start and then maybe you guys can add on? Yeah, sure. All right. So going into it, I didn't know. I thought she was actually a little bit more mature than this I because she's, she's older than me and I kind of... I didn't think she'd be catering to that young sort of emotional state, you know, but she is. So you have to bear that in mind that I don't connect with them like yeah. that. But still, even yeah. then, their lyrics seemed a little bit lazy to me. I totally agree. Like I know it's written in lockdown and it's a quick album, but for something that relies on the lyrics, I feel like I found too many I'm 14 and this is deep lyrics that don't really develop any imagery or like develop the story. It's like she she wrote down the first line that came to her head and she didn't she didn't think think of it as a first draft. Yeah, she she thought of exactly. it as like the final version. She didn't come back and, and polish things up. Yeah. Oh, here's some examples. On Cardigan, which is like the the bigger hit, I think. She says You um, have to sing it. Do you want me to sing it? Do you yeah. want me to like No, you have to sing it. All right. So she's like Vintage tea, brand new phone, our heels on cobblestones. When you are young, they assume you know nothing. That's and then she goes, sequin smile, black da, lipstick, da, da, and then da, da, sensual da. politics. <laughs> when you are young, they assume you... Like, 
where is sensual politics come from? That no one's ever said that. Like sequin smile, black lipstick. I get that. You know, maybe she's talking about dressing up. Sensual politics. I just I have no idea where that's from. <laughs> and it's like maybe you could do the Bible interpretation where you have to read the the word in the sentence, the sentence in the paragraph, <laughs> paragraph in the story, story in the, you know, the book. But like that's just bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and seven, sweet tea in this. Um, so this one's like, sweet tea in the summer, cross your heart, won't tell no other. But like, cross your heart, won't tell no one else what. Like, sweet tea in the summer is so innocent. And then cross your heart, don't tell anyone about that sweet tea in the summer. Like, it's totally appropriate to tell people about that. <laughs> and though I can't recall your face, I still got love for you. Um, your braids like a pattern, love you to the moon and to Saturn. That like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, yep, she didn't have anything for pattern. Yeah. So she's like, mm, Saturn, how can I end on Saturn? I love you to, to the moon and Saturn. Saturn. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> for a singer songwriter, I don't know. I was kind of disappointed. Yeah. The, the whole thing feels a bit lazy and it feels like I've read everything here before. It just doesn't build. Like I put a few examples from some other artists, right? This one's called Lack of Color, Death Cab for Cutie. And this is like, this seems just like kind of the level I was hoping for from her. So this one is like, um, and when I see you, I really see you upside down, but my brain knows better. It picks you up and turns you around. And that's from, I don't know if you've seen this, but the studies of people wearing upside down glasses after like a week, they actually see the normal way up. So your brain adjusts. And then that, when they take huh. them off again, they have to like readjust again. So that's what it's talking about. So it says, turns you around, turns you around. If you feel discouraged that there's a lack of color here, please don't worry, lover. It's really bursting at the seams from absorbing everything the spectrum's A to Z, which is kind of nice because it ties into the lack of color um, song title and also, also like the physics concept of lack of color is just black absorbing all colors. So that's kind of what I expected. Here's another one. It's like uh, Mozambique by Bob Dylan, another Bob Dylan reference. <laughs> so he goes, there's lots of pretty girls in Mozambique and plenty time for good romance. And everyone likes to stop and speak to give the special one you seek a chance or maybe just so say hello with just a glance, which is great because every line builds and it fills out the intentions. So he's looking for a girl, wants romance, what he wants to do on holidays. And the last line, which is, or maybe say hello with just a glance, you can't have that without any of the other lines. Because hmm. if you That's don't true. have the pretty girls, then what are you glancing at? And plenty of time for good romance is like, it, it brings in the concept of time. So he says, and everyone likes to stop and speak, or maybe say hello with just a glance. So it's saying like, maybe we won't speak, but it's just, you know, you can just glance at someone. Yeah, you, you know, know that so it's feeling. Like, yeah, it, it, every line sort of builds up to that. And then here's another one, Beatles, which is very unfair because Beatles are Beatles, but this one's <laughs> run by Ringo. Oh, so that makes it fair. And that makes it fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is, I like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. Um, he, he'd let us in, knows where we've been in his octopus's garden in the shade. I'd ask my friends to come and see an octopus's garden with me, you know, and like, that's so simple. 
yet it's still better than most of the songs on the Taylor Swift because you get an image of the octopus, like the smart, you know, everyone says octopuses are super smart, you know, they have some intelligence that we don't have. And you can just imagine this like friendly octopus, like letting the Beatles in, you know, <laughs> knows where we've been, this smart octopus, you know, um, in the shade, ask my friends to come and see, you know, like it's, you don't get that with vintage T, brand new phone, high heels on, cobblestones, like you don't get the same thing. Yeah. Um, sequin smile, black lipstick, sensual politics. It like, feels a bit flat. It just, yeah, there's no imagery. That's my problem. Imagery is the problem. <laughs> it feels like a Weird Al song. <laughs> just yeah. a lot of random stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like she had and to like, fill out the pattern and that's it. I know some people when they're writing songs, they do mumble lyrics. So they're like... <laughs> But eventually they clean them up. So yeah. I think the common one that I've heard is like Let It Be was Eggs and Ham or something like that. Yeah. But he changed it. But it sounds like her songs are just like the original draft, yeah. you know, which I don't know. I kind of feel a little bit cheated, like almost like there was lockdown and then it's just like a two-month, three-month project. But have then... you but have you listened to other albums of her? No, like, I haven't. I would actually assume that this is her style. Like she's she's singing out of her head, which has its charm. Stream of consciousness kind of way. I, I don't mind stream of consciousness. A good book that does it is um, American Psycho, which you just read. You yeah. Know? You know, in American Psycho, how he's talking about like what he's wearing and then he'll talk about like that TV show, the Patty, yeah, Patty something, something show. Yeah, um, that show in the morning. He's like, oh, yeah, this was on the radio in the morning. Anyway, so I'm wearing this like um, yeah. this bow tie today. Like it feels very stream of consciousness, which is awesome in that book. I, I, I really like the way that was written. But in a song, I think that's not the way to do it. Or, or if you do do it, make it super interesting. Yeah, not... it could be done well, but this I just don't connect with. Maybe maybe it's me. I'm not going to judge her, but it just feels flat, just boring. And I can also imagine, like, I got a couple of songs in my head that, that also have, like, a, a, a very similar random words, but they create a story. Maybe this, is also, this also creates a story, but the music is not interesting enough for you to stay around and, and investigate what the, the story is. Mm. Maybe. Like, I know some people, and this happen, often happens with podcasters. I think Russell Brand is who I'm thinking of. But um, I don't know if it works for him, but I know it works for some other people. Is like they are known for stream of consciousness kind of thinking. Mm. And it usually happens when they want to go on a big rant and like, They just get all of their thoughts, they build them up, and then they just fire away. And it just feels like, it feels like a roast. And then some people do that in songs. Like some people who are really passionate, it sounds like a tirade and it feels like all unorganized, but it's hard hitting. Every sentence just gets deeper and deeper. But for this, it's just not a strong enough emotion behind the stream of consciousness to make it worth it. And I feel like this is a little bit mean, but... You know how, like, there's this is often depicted in movies. I'm doing a stream of consciousness now, sorry. <laughs> But um, there's that CEO who just other people write down his thoughts. He's just like, oh, you know what we should do? We should have bathroom doors that revolve. Write that down. Like, <laughs> every thought he has, he thinks is, like, amazing. He's like, yeah. have you got that? Like, and, he's, and he uses, like, a dictator And like people, people will do all the hard work of like putting it into action, but he, he's got the gold 
coming out of his brain. And I feel a little bit like, I feel like she thinks maybe she can't go wrong and it's a bit, you know, like if I just give her how I'm feeling just in words and stuff, people will put together, like people will get the vibe. And like you do get the vibe, but it's almost still not enough, mm. you know? It's a good way of putting this. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And then I think that it's either you get it or you don't. If you get it, then it might be a, an, an amazing experience. Mm. Yeah. But you're saying, oh my God, Taylor, you're in my head. We're the same person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you're not, then you get like this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I bet there's some people like, you know, your braids like a pattern. Love you to the moon and to Saturn. People, are, I've written that down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, so like, uh, that's great for those people. So that's, what you're saying is that you're not not going to tattoo that line on your head. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is again one of those times that I would really appreciate if we would host someone who loves it, who's really into, who, yeah, yeah, who's really into Taylor explain Swift. to us why, and he will kind of, yeah, and he will tell us what's the big fuss about it. Why is it why it's so amazing? Although this album is so new, like I wonder it it might not be that easy to find yeah. something like that. Like okay, let's let's get down to the business. To defeat the Huns. Sorry. This or you two. <laughs> Before we answer that question, I have to say that like this album had a weird effect on me that I totally didn't expect and wherever I would listen to this, I think this is kind of boring. This is kind of man. Is, is this the album that we've done on the podcast that I like the least? And then it automatically made me think of U2's War, which I didn't like. And then one of the songs from War would get stuck in my head. So listening to Taylor Swift's Folklore got U2 songs stuck in my head almost daily. And I did not like that. <laughs> That's another... That's rough. Another bad mark for, for Taylor Swift. <laughs> not her fault. I'll say... This one wasn't as repugnant as U2. U2 no. felt like a crime <laughs> against music. This one just felt like kind of not spectacular, you know, like whereas U2 felt like just his voice was just so annoying, you know, whereas Taylor Swift's voice is actually kind of nice. I don't mind it. Yeah, a bit too sweet for me, but I, I agree. Mm. Yeah, so this one didn't like offend my ear, whereas the U2 ones sort of had more had more thorns on that album. Mm. Even and that was a shorter album as well, so I'm surprised. Yeah, but, like um, 25 minutes shorter. Yeah, this one felt more tolerable in something that, like, if someone had this on, like, on shuffle or something like that, I could kind of deal with it because, like, I'm not invested enough into it to really care. Whereas you two, if that someone put that on, like, I'd recognize the songs and sort of a little bit annoying. It comes into my consciousness a little bit more. So if I had to say like what one I prefer, I think I prefer this one. And honestly, I think this one's probably a little bit more well-rounded, whereas like you two, you had some seriously shit songs. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to listen to just one of those, like if I had to choose one, I'd go with this one, yeah. Definitely this one. Yeah. Because you two is, um, they, they know you on a personal level. <laughs> because there's something so smog about them yeah and this is just you know i'm not sure if i would also want to hear you uh, two as a background music and this i would definitely yeah. put as a background music like again walking on the beach on a chilly winter evening perfect it was fun i enjoyed listening to it this album is a bit hit and miss there are a few songs that i wouldn't listen to again but there are a few songs here that are pretty good uh, unlike you two yeah, so that was Taylor Swift's Folklore. I think the consensus, um, it's a pretty solid consensus. It's like, it's not a terrible album. It's just kind of, 
I think we all felt it underperformed a little bit as a little bit. as opposed to like maybe what it could be. It wasn't bad. A little underperformed is right. Yeah. And um look, from this I'm definitely not going to like be downloading the next album because she does have a new album. But like yeah. I, I'm happy now that I haven't judged an album off the cover. Uh, otherwise it would be like a what did you call it? A uh, black metal or something? Yeah, a black metal album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a black metal album, but um but no, I'm happy I'm happy that we've actually investigated it see if there was any sort of merit to it and um there is none so that's great and um <laughs> sometimes you have to climb the mountain in order to understand that the buddha is not there you know so we went and it was taylor swift so we went down and uh yeah so now we'll just eagerly await what barrio's um sort of what what will we call these albums um we'll call them Potentially risky albums. I was gonna, risky albums. Yeah, we'll yeah. call them risky albums. We'll, we'll we'll eagerly await what Barry's risky album will be in the mm. future. So, in the future, yeah. um, doesn't have to be right now. Yeah, we need we need to break them apart. You know, yeah, <laughs> we need, yeah. We need a resting them. period between them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll say I feel like the album kind of starts slowly. It picks up in the middle, and the end is kind of forgettable to me. Mm. While I said that the, the fact that it's long was convenient to me, I think it's a bit too long. Mm. Like, the songs aren't too different from each other, so I didn't need 16 of them, or 17 with yeah. the bonus track. And I think that, you know, there are a few songs that I think weigh the album down. Like, I feel like mm. whenever I start to enjoy this album, a song that is just so-so kind of makes me lose attention. So I, I think that there's a, a good album hiding within this album. I think yeah. that if you take the strongest 10 songs from this album... Maybe not 10, maybe eight, eight or nine. You'd yeah. be left with a solid, fun 40 minutes album, which is nice. You put Betty in there. You put Invisible Strings, yeah. Illicit Affair. This is me trying. Maybe seven, maybe uh, potentially. Maybe, seven. maybe Exile, just because it, it's at least different. Yeah, um, that's true. I don't know. I didn't particularly like it, but maybe you fix it up and put it in there <laughs> and then put in maybe the one and Cardigan because people need it. I don't. Um, <laughs> and it goes from sort of what I would consider to be like a D plus to maybe like a C minus, you know, yeah. like it it, yeah. it it brings it up one level, you know, at least. I'll mention again before we go to the quick vote that this is an album that probably wasn't made with people like us in mind. It's a style that we're not too well versed in. So I don't know, at least for me, this is just based on two weeks of listening to this album. Maybe maybe if you get to know her career better, maybe there's more to it. I don't know. So, as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Taylor Swift's folklore has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide, a.k.a. The Quick. We will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay, and the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. Peter, you suggested this album. Would you mind casting the first vote? Sure. I'd like to give an ominous stroke of the mustache. An unexpected stroke of the mustache. <laughs> Barry, what, what do you think? Mm, same. And I'll stroke my mustache as well. This is out. I was kind of hoping that one of you would really fall in love with this album. But, mm. yeah, dreams are made to be shattered. So, uh, on our next episode, we're going to go back to the movie realm and watch the most famous Western that I know, which is uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. 
The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is a 1966 western, which I know nothing about, except that I heard its name a couple of times. Premise of our show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever watched a Western from beginning to end. So this will be uh, the first time. I did watch this movie once with a, a friend like eight years ago and I fell asleep immediately. So I don't remember anything about it. And I'm looking at the page now and it's interesting. Like other than Clint Eastwood's name, which is a big name, this is directed by Sergio Leone, which is another name that sounds kind of familiar. So this could be interesting. But... Something I'm noticing now, which might be problematic a bit, is that this movie is the third and final installment in a trilogy. Oh, really? The first one is A Fistful of Dollars, and then there's For a Few Dollars More. So maybe we should watch those first? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> let, me, let me Google if the movie is watchable on its own. Because huh. I've heard of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and I absolutely wouldn't have picked it in a trilogy. Interesting. The suspense. <laughs> <laughs> what will be the answer in none? It says, it doesn't matter if you've watched the first two, because when you've seen the third one, you'd want to go back and watch the first two. <laughs> no, but it, it also said, it doesn't really matter. They're all self-contained movies. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's okay. Uh, so it's like... Maybe in the same universe. It's like Liam Neeson sort of has like a set of movies. Um, there's the same kind of thing, like on a, on a train, on a plane... Something like that, but it's not actually yeah. canonical. So maybe maybe there's something that ties them together, but you don't have to watch the first yeah. two for this one. Seems like a, a fun choice. We've gone from, or you've gone from the classic Kung Fu movie to the classic Spaghetti Western. So Spaghetti Western? Yeah. What's that? Uh, because it's an Italian movie. Oh, mamma yeah. mia. Mamma I actually mia. did not know that's what Spaghetti Western meant. Yeah. It, it's interesting. It's another, it, the, the movie was shot in, in Italian, and then dubbed later to English, kind of, Ooh. which is kind of something we've made fun of with the Kung Fu movie, with uh, Enter the Dragon. Wait, but Clint Eastwood is Italian? No, but the movie was shot in Italian, as far as I've known. We're, we're going to have to dig deep into That's this. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, like, this is the only thing I know about the movie. I will have to see. What a cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so... Thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Peace. Bye. Cardigan? Cardigan. No, peace. <laughs> <laughs> peace is song 15. Come on, guys. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's my, my five-second <laughs> prep. The Culture Quest podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All the People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a, um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, double L dot org. So it's, it's a dot org. So it's, it's legit. And um, basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity. So obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times, but 
if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to um, charities, it's definitely best to do your research because a lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So, it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So, out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So, um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So, this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, yeah. So, definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So, anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you. Hello, my lovelies. My name is Chantelle and I'm the host over at Lady Justice True Crime. Lady Justice is a weekly podcast that covers fascinating cases, both past and present, from around the UK and Ireland. Some of them are strange. Many are unbelievable. All of them are completely unique and are someone's story. So please come join me on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.